five and a half years. We turn to God's word this evening, to Psalm 119, and I want to focus on one phrase from one verse, and it's in verse 68, 119, Psalm 119 and verse 68. And these are the words I want to focus on this evening. You are good and do good. I'm speaking on the subject of the goodness of God. That's really the burden of my heart this evening. And it's fair to say this, that no church rises higher than its understanding and concept of the Lord. As it perceives the Lord God in all his greatness and holiness and sovereignty as revealed in the scriptures and as that's worked out in everyday life, this is transformative in the life of the church and its members. And what is true of the church, of course, is true of its members too. It sets standards according to the scripture. And so the subject we're going to consider this evening of the goodness of God is vast and mind-stretching. To be theological and to be a bit technical, this is one of the communicable attributes of God. It is a demanding subject and it will take some concentration, I hope, to uh, bear with me uh, the points and observations I'm seeking to make. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it, that we can know God personally. We can know him and love him and discover more of him in his word. And how wonderful this phrase is. You are good and do good the goodness of God. What I want to say is this, that God is infinitely good and immensely good. He always has been and he always will be. And this is to be experienced, I suggest to you, by the Lord's people and to rejoice in this. And not only is God good to his people, he's, God, he's good to this world. They would contend against this, but no. God is good to this poor, suffering, benighted world. And part of my joyful responsibility in preaching in the open air is to tell people this. That God is good. And does good. And ought to be acknowledged to be a God of great goodness. Infinitely good eternally good and this is what the scripture reminds us Psalm 34 verse 8 O taste and see that the Lord is good blessed is the man who trusts in him I wonder do you know something of that personally you can say well I can say I'm into that because I've experienced time and time and time again of the goodness of God the goodness of God Psalm 139 
How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I wake, I'm still with you. I'm privileged to tell people that God is good to them, to everybody. And I say to the unsaved that whilst Jesus may not be on their agenda, he has them on his agenda. And I tell them, and a number stop and listen, it is powerful this, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every. Now they can do that one of two ways. They can do that voluntarily by faith in him, by coming to him, or they can do it involuntary. And if it's delayed, involuntary, it's part of God's goodness. Sparing them judgment in yet still speaking to them to repent and believe and bow the knee in faith now before that great day when they'll all bow the knee. This is a powerful subject, friends. Again, under five headings, I want to look at this subject with you this evening. The first thing I want to say is this, understanding the goodness of God is magnifying him. And I want to explain what I mean by that. Understanding the goodness of God is magnifying him. And that can be misunderstood. So we ought to understand the term. As we see the goodness of God, as we experience this, and encourage others to do the same, we magnify the Lord. The word magnify can mean one of two things. It can mean make it look bigger than it is. Here is a scientist and he has in his laboratory a slide with examinable material on to make deductions and he places it in a microscope. I don't know whether the children here, the young people, have started using microscopes at college or at, at school. Well, if you haven't done, you certainly will do. And under a microscope is this slide. And you look through the microscope and the world opens up which prior to you seeing it is hidden from you. It magnifies that which is on the slide. That which we cannot see is made bigger than they are. That's one way of looking at the subject of magnification, mag magnify. The other way is to see it as big as it is. And this is what is meant here in magnifying God. Seeing his goodness as big as it is. It is impossible to make God look bigger than he is because he is sovereign and he is Lord. To magnify God is to see God somewhere as big as he is in all his glory. And this is staggering. 
Is this an important subject to us? I think it is. I think it is. I came across this old hymn, and it's only in Grace Hymn Book. Now, we don't use Grace being book, but I did for 20 years or so nearly at Hope Chapel. Think about this, this great hymn. God shall alone the refuge be and comfort of my mind. Too wise to be mistaken he, too good to be unkind. In all his holy sovereign will he is, I daily find. Too wise to be mistaken he is still, too good to be unkind. When I the tempter's rage endure, tis God supports my mind. Too wise to be mistaken, sure, too good to be unkind. When sore afflictions on me lie, he is, though I am blind, too wise to be mistaken, yea, too good to be unkind. What though I can't his goings see nor all his footsteps find too wise to be mistaken he too good to be unkind hereafter he will make me know and I shall surely find he was too wise to err and oh too good to be unkind praise God The second thing I want to say is this. Understanding the goodness of God is seeing his divine kindness. His divine kindness. You are good. And what you do is good. This is our God. He is kind, eternally kind, and benevolent in all his ways. I'm not refuting his divine jealousy here or his hatred towards sin. Of course not. God is kind and cordial. And I don't want to dumb down notions of the Lord. Let me say this as a Christian of 60 years standing. He's easy to live with. He's easy to live with. Really. I come with that testimony this evening. Some Christians give the impression that he's some kind of ogre. He's not. No. He's always kind. He's always cordial. He never has bad thoughts of anyone at any time. That can't be said of us, sadly. When I speak of the goodness of God, his kindness, his cordiality... I mean that he is infinitely good. No one can claim that. No angel can claim that. He is perfectly good. God is perfectly, uniquely, sovereignly, eternally good. He's not partially good and on his way to becoming entirely good. No, he's entirely good and eternally has been good forever. This is our God. I wonder, does somebody here think God's mad at you? When he's not? 
If you come to trust in Jesus, what you have discovered is this. God is for you. God is for you. What a wonderful thing to know that. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? To have God for you, well, how wonderful. This means that God is not indifferent to us, to any of us. And he doesn't want you to remain with a convoluted misapprehension that somehow he's mad at you. He loves you and he wants you to know him in the Lord Jesus. He either loves with an undying love and with unremitting energy or he hates with a consuming fire those who reject his son. The goodness of God requires that God cannot love sin. You are good and what you do is good. And the whole world should know this, that they pervert this, don't they, with scandalous accusations against the living God. It should concern us and worry us and fill us with a desire to clear this fearful scandal that the world has against him. I wonder if I can give an example here. It's a powerful example, an illustration. I'll take you back, not 60 years, but a couple of days to Friday. Friday lunchtime in Swansea. And I, with others, with four or five others, do an open-air preaching in evangelism. Some friends from Grosinan Church, where Matt and, as I said, Matt and his wife and family go. And uh, we have a book table with scriptures. We have a board where we put uh, headings of the messages we're preaching and laden with tracts. And here, Roger Pomeroy, this wonderful man and the associate worker for the open air mission for South Wales begins to preach and I'm out tracting and someone comes up to me and starts a conversation and this is how the conversation went I've just come out, I've just come out of Morrison Hospital oh really? well I'm sorry to hear that what happened? I've had a perforated ulcer well that sounds bad what happened? he says well I was sitting at home and suddenly blood was everywhere and I was losing blood and I phoned for the, uh, the 911 or whatever it is that they phone and the NHS workers came and immediately saw there was terrible danger they took me to Morriston, Morriston Hospital and I was losing blood at a fearful rate and I needed a blood transfusion and they tested the blood to see what type I had, I didn't know what type I had, he said, but it was a very, very rare blood group. And they had no stocks of that particular blood group. And they said, this is terribly serious, Jonathan, his name was Jonathan. And he said, they said, have you got a brother? Well, I haven't seen him for five years as a twin brother. Oh, they said, oh, thank goodness for that. Where is he? We've got to get in touch with him so he would provide you a blood transfusion. Well, he lived in Bristol 
and he made a, a dash to Swansea where they quickly took him uh, into hospital. He was one side of a bed, his brother was the other side of the, another bed and blood was transformed from, from him to his brother. And Jonathan was saying, I felt my life ebbing away. I felt my life ebbing away. I'd lost so much blood, over four points. And they said, we've got to get this blood into you soon because it's terribly serious. And his, his twin brother was offering his arm for the cannula. He had a cannula. And blood was transferred from the twin brother to Jonathan. And he said, as that blood was being transferred, I felt my, my life revived. I felt life coming. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm so touched that my brother came and gave his life's blood for me. So I heard this remarkable story. And I said, do you know that God's son gave his life blood? Not for physical healing in that sense, but for spiritual healing? He says, yes, I know. And I said to him, do you recognize the goodness of God for you, Jonathan? Yes, yes, I do. I said, what if your brother lived in Australia? I'll be dead. I'll be dead, yes. But you're not, are you? No. And you know what that's down to, do you? Yes. It's down to the goodness of God. Yes, he said. I wasn't a Christian, I wasn't a believer at all, but my heart's touched. My heart's touched. And I'm reading the New Testament up to the 62nd page now. I said, well, this is great. But I want to rejoice with you on the goodness of God. Was it not good of God to provide his brother just maybe 80, 90 miles away soon to transfer his blood, life-giving to Jonathan? And I was able to preach the gospel to him. I think the Lord is dealing with him. He took scriptures and he went on his way. He came back and he, he touched his heart like this. Do pray for him. Here is an example, is it not? Of the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Amazing. And so, understanding the goodness of God is seeing his divine kindness and cordiality. And thirdly, understanding the goodness of God is a clear sign of exercising the life of faith. Now, there are two biblical examples I'd like to give here. Those who suffered and yet could rejoice in God when seeing, even through the perspective of suffering, yes, even then, the goodness of God. And it's a clear marker to us, an illustration to us of the benefits and joy and, and practical example of the life of faith. Job is one example. He suffered terribly. Within a space of days, as it were, he lost everything. His wealth, most of his family, his health, 
And we know the reason for this because we've seen, as it were, beyond the veil. This was a divine drama, if you wish. And God was vindicating himself by saying, this man Job is a man of faith and integrity. And the devil was seeking to undermine that. And this is what Job would say to his wife, who said to him, curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. He copes with the taunts of his wife. And later, very much later in a sense, the painfulness of his friends, so-called, coping with their taunts and abuse. We do receive trouble from the Lord, don't we? Let's be honest. I'm, I'm being honest with you this evening. We're not saying, you know, everything's hunky-dory for the Christian and there's no trouble and there's no difficulty. There is trouble. There is difficulty. But we cannot doubt even then the goodness of God. And by faith we rejoice in him. And another example, of course, is from the Old Testament, is the, is the psalm writer called Asaph from Psalm 73. And verse 1, it's a wonderful psalm, this, as you all know. Truly God is good to Israel. Yes, that's true. To such as pure in heart. Yes. But for me, my feet had almost stumbled. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Yes, I, I acknowledged the goodness of God, but in the light of the suffering I went through, I nearly stumbled. I thought things I ought not to have thought. I almost, almost said things I should not say. But a kind of self-discipline kept me back from not betraying your children. And then the turning point came was this. Until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I understood their end. And he has to confess and repent I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me into glory. He goes on to say, it's good for me to draw near God. I put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all your works. Yes, he's suffering, but for the life of faith through trusting in Jehovah God entering in the sanctuary he sees it by faith the answer to his needs my feet had almost slipped it's a painful journey maybe you've got a, a testimony of that too confronted with difficulty and disappointment you perhaps doubted God and thought things unworthy of him but by faith, you trusted in him. Another example, if we needed one, but there are many more, of course, is Joseph. 
who was sadly betrayed by his brothers and engaged in so much difficulty and trouble, but yet God was with him. And towards the very end, when the, the brothers were frightened at, on, a, on the death of their father, Jacob, that somehow Joseph would turn on them and wreak vengeance and havoc. And this is what we read. Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And how thankful we are here. We have that testimony in the scriptures. As is deed, we have that uh, verse which complements this in Romans 8 and verse 28. And we know that in all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Even in the midst of heartbreak and sorrow, such folk can say God is good and what he does is good. The fourth thing I want to say is this, that understanding the goodness of God is our reason for living. Our reason for living. Where would you or I be apart from the goodness of God? Nothing has come to us because we deserve it. Nothing comes to us because it's fortuitous and a bit of luck. No, not at all. It has come to us because of God's goodness. He's preserved us even before we were saved. Determined to save, he watched all my path as Satan's foul slave. I sported with death. And I did. I nearly hung myself as an 11-year-old. And my father came to see me with an ashen face and said, Jeb, what are you doing, you idiot? But God preserved me out of his goodness. A friend of mine was saved from certain drowning years before he was converted. To whom do we account that the goodness of God? And we praise him for that. And that those incidents cannot be understood apart from the goodness of God. You may well have a testimony yourself how God preserved you before you were saved and kept you. How can you explain that? Well, you can't, apart from the goodness of God. And parents here with children and grandchildren, you can reach back into your memory and you can remember times when the Lord intervened and you cried to him, health reasons, maybe other situations developed, but God intervened. And you give him glory tonight because you recognise his goodness. You are good. And what you do is good. How many times has God answered prayer in your life? Well, time without number. Time without number. Personally, 
as families, as a church, all throughout our Christian heritage and history, cast your minds to the times when you've prayed and it seemed impossible, it seemed impossible for God to intervene and he did. And there was a time in my ministry to the end of my time at Highbury, the most difficult three years were my, of my ministry were the last three years at Highbury and there were times I thought, I'm done, I'm finished and God said, no you're not. And he used, I've said this before years ago, he used a, a wartime placard to help me in times of great need. And there it was on my study wall, keep calm, carry on. How was that so used of God to help me at that particular time? One answer, one answer only, no other answer the goodness of God. How many times has God intervened in your life? Think back. And this evening, give him glory and praise and honour. It's due to God's goodness. If you're a Christian this evening, it's not down to you, was it? Down to the Lord. How is it that God brought you in to a Christian family. And your mum and dad were Christians. You actually had no part in that. That was of God's goodness. And consequently, you came to know the God and Father of your mum and dad. What a wonderful blessing that was. That was not my experience, but I had other experiences. I sensed God's dealing with me in retrospect now a year and a half or so before I was saved at the age of 16. <coughs> and I give thanks to God. God's kindness, his goodness. I can approach him with thankfulness and praise this evening and mean it. But then again, you know, the Bible speaks not only of God's goodness, but it also speaks of his severity. This is not inconsistent, one with the other, but this is what the scriptures teach. And we have to be faithful to the word, don't we? And this is what we read in Romans chapter 11 and verse 22. Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. He is a kind and gracious God, and that kindness and that graciousness and goodness has led you to him, Christian. And this is a remarkable, outstanding reality. That when you come to him, he makes you good. You're not good enough for him. When you trust in him, he declares you good. 
That's amazing. Can I get my mind around that? No, but my heart engages this and praises him this evening. He declares you good. You are then part of his new creation. He says of his original creation, it's good. And yet they rebelled and sinned against God in their disobedience. But now he takes ungrateful, unrighteous sinners and declares them good by his gracious Holy Spirit, by those who trust in him. So I ask you this evening, do you trust in his goodness and in his grace? Do you look back over your life and see his hand upon you, leading you to salvation? To show God's goodness by giving yourself to him and owning him and praising him for his goodness. And may it be so. Let us pray. Loving Lord and now Father in heaven, thank you for your precious word. Own it to us to your glory.